Welcome to the Riverside Project podcast. We are mobilizing Houston to empower families and transform generations. We hope these conversations will give you a greater understanding of the issues facing our community and inspire you to find your place along the river. Our guest today is Krista Kessler. Krista is the Community Outreach Specialist at St. Jerome Emiliani Foster Care Program. This program is part of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. For nearly 80 years, Catholic Charities has provided food, clothing, shelter, and a network of support services um, for people of all ages from all walks of life um, and different religious backgrounds. Today, we're going to specifically discuss um, how Catholic Charities serves youth through international foster care as opposed to domestic foster care, which we're usually aware of. Um, So we're really excited to have Krista with us today. Glad that you're here with us. Thank you. I'm excited to join as well. Yeah. Well, I wanted to I want to just start off with a little bit of background because I mentioned international foster care. It's not something that we've ever really heard of. I hadn't actually really ever heard of it, but um, we often get this question, especially when things are happening at the border or things are in the news, when there's unaccompanied minors, we get this question about what happens when um, kids come over without their parents. Is that affecting foster care? What can I do about it? How do I get involved? And the only thing that I've ever been able to tell them is um, it's different. Right. Um, local, the foster care that we, we know about, um, domestic foster care happens through the state system, um, through the state child welfare system. However, there is also an international foster care system that's run by the federal government. Um, and so that's what Catholic Charities does. Um, and so that's basically all I know about it. Um, but you've been able to share a little bit about, about that with me um, and just explaining the differences and how people can get involved with this different program. So we're glad that you're here to shed some light on all of that. Um, let's just start off by you telling us a little bit, just an overview of what you do um, at St. Jerome um, and um, just what the program's about. Absolutely. So I'm the community outreach specialist. So in that role, it's basically my job to attend meetings, go to events and advertise our program as much as possible, try to spread the word, um, find potential foster parents. And then I'm also responsible for the early stages of bringing them on as okay. part of the licensing process. Okay. Um, so so what makes it different? I think Catholic Charities or St. Jerome is um, this specific program is, I think, the only one in Houston that does this type of thing, correct? Yes. Okay. So share, I mean, that's a lot on one organization, on one person to go out and find these foster parents. Share a little bit about just the youth that come into the program and the clients that you serve. Um, you talked a little bit about the foster parent side, but who are, who are they fostering? What does that look like? Sure. So all of our youth are considered... Um, unaccompanied refugee minors. We have every different subset of that type of refugee. So we have the humanitarian parolees that were set up by Biden that are fleeing a country due to violence. Mm -hmm. And so they have permission to come here and are waiting for their parents to join them. We also have the special immigrant juvenile status youth that are called SIJs that have been identified as being abused by their parents in their home country. And then Mm -hmm. we have M4s that are established overseas. And then we also have asylees that come over the border as well. Okay. What ages, language, you know, I assume that there's a wide array of, of different yes. languages. Yes. So and since they come from all over the world, um, we have every language you could imagine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, we have many Spanish speakers, but we do have many that are speaking languages that are less common, like Tigrinya. We have Creole Haitian. Um, 
Rohingya, just anything you can imagine. Yeah. And so that's why it's really important that we work with translators to mm-hmm. help them with that language barrier. And they are um, teenagers for the most part. We do have them coming as an average age of 15. They're usually 14, 15, okay. or 16. So usually teens. And also usually boys. We have been seeing more girls recently, okay. but it's still kind of a breakdown of 70% boys and then 30% girls. Okay. Speaking of of girls, is there is there a kind of a trafficking element? Does it intersect with trafficking sometimes? How, how does that interplay with all of this? Yes. Um, oh. So about fifty percent of our youth are trafficked, and wow. I think when people hear trafficked, they just instinctively go to sex trafficking. Right. Yeah. But labor trafficking is actually a lot more common. So a lot okay. of our boys have been trafficked here as well, um, and you know either gender it could be mm. sex or labor trafficking, but that is a big you know dynamic that's involved in the youth getting here. Yeah. Putting some context around it, how many what's how many youth are typically in this program at one time? Is it sure. thousands? Is it hundreds? Is it <laughs> five? You know, what's so, the context there? Since I've been with the program the past three years, it's always been around thirty. Okay. Um, that's in the foster homes. And then we also have our supervised independent living program that mm-hmm. typically has about 10. We okay. have a bit less right now. We've had several age out at the beginning of the year. And I know pre-COVID we had larger numbers. It's just mm-hmm. everything has shrunk sure. due to COVID. So we do expect for it to grow and mm-hmm. in coming years, you know, get back to a larger amount of numbers. Yeah, that's the program itself, the, the fact that it exists is difficult. The fact that the number is fairly manageable, um, I mean, 30 to 50, 30, 40 um, youth, it seems like a much more manageable situation for our city to tackle, right? Um, so what, is the, what does it look like to foster in that space? What do, can you describe the foster parent program a little bit more? Sure. So as far as coming on as a foster parent, it's very similar to domestic. Um, we have you know, all the same pride training, home study, these sort of things. There's just some additional cultural elements where we're trying to do more trainings. And um, especially with trauma, just they're coming in with a different type of trauma. Sure. Fleeing their country due to violence. So we just want to make sure that everyone's equipped to handle that. Right. Um, We do also just have like a full supportive program. So we have many different um, people on staff that are working to make sure that they're having all their needs met. So we have a counselor that's working with them okay. and does sessions for them and can also refer them if they have additional mental health needs um, or, you know, have a need for mm-hmm. psychotropic medications. Everyone has a case manager. Okay. They're there to advocate for the youth. We also have a foster home developer that's there for the foster parents specifically. Okay. And then we have an office manager that does all of our reporting and also helps set up their Medicaid because they do all have medical coverage with us that is separate from the type of coverage that they do have if they're on the domestic side. Okay. So it is a little different. Um, They have, you know, dental and vision in addition to their medical. We also have... an education coordinator who's, you know, plays a very vital role in mm-hmm. enrolling them in the school, getting them into ESL, and also overseeing our volunteer tutors program. Okay. So he is there to kind of make sure that everything is streamlined and that they're getting all the extra support that they need because a lot of them haven't been in traditional school in their right. own country. So it's yeah. and the language barrier, experience. right? You mm-hmm. add in being behind in a different system and then also not speaking the language. I could yes. imagine tutors are... Used heavily. (laughs) The tutors are, yeah, very important. Um, And several of our tutors have been with us for, you know, many years, even a decade. And so they're a good support system to have. And they can help the youth with other subjects they're struggling in in school as well. But, you Mm -hmm. know, primarily, initially, they're there for helping them with trying to tackle English. Yeah. 
Describe for me just, we talked about the program itself, but what is the kind of trajectory? Can you walk us through just from the time a youth enters our country unaccompanied without their parents for whatever reason, what happened? How do they get to to the program? And then how do they, what's the typical path that they take? Yes. So this is where it's kind of the most different from domestic. Um, we are partnered with Office of Refugee Resettlement. So okay. we have no affiliation with DFPS. Right. And so they basically have- And that's all federal mm-hmm, related. They have a referral system that's, you know, across the entire country. And so there's just, you know, handfuls of us around the country that are seeing these youth that pop up. And so there's a description for them. And we're not able to accept the youth to come to our program unless we already have a licensed family that's a good match for them. Interesting. So that's why my role is so important because I have to license families up front with the Mm -hmm. anticipation of what countries we're receiving the youth from because we do try to do a cultural match as much as we can. And so once we have established a youth that seems like a good fit for a family, then we can do a pre-placement call with them, make Mm -hmm. sure everything goes well and just staff it. And if it is a good fit and we decide that the family wants to take them, then we basically just set everything up to accept them. And then we go and pick them up from the airport and bring them to the home. So it can be a pretty fast turnaround of like a few weeks once it's established. So a family could be waiting for a very long time once they're licensed just to have a youth come that's kind of what they're looking for in terms of just, you know, age and gender Mm -hmm. and background. But once we have established that youth, it's very fast that they will get them. Sounds really quick. So what happens after that? How long are the placements typically? You know, in foster care, domestic foster care, you know, there's, you're looking at reunification and you're like working through the court system and that's a totally different journey. What, what's the normal, if normal is ever really a normal, um, what is expected most of the time in that process? So it does vary. Um, It's kind of hard to answer that question. I always tell people up front to anticipate them being with them for a few years. The idea is until they graduate high school, but we have to keep in mind that they could graduate high school at 19 or 20. It may Mm -hmm. not necessarily be at 18 because they're already behind. And then on top of that, we have our immigration lawyers, the Cabrini, working on their case. Okay. So one of the things that they are doing is trying to get us conservatorship of them. Okay. And so they're going to court and arguing the case. And so once we have conservatorship of them, then we have kind of full rights and control to be able to advocate for them. And Mm -hmm. they're able to travel with the families um, and we're able to help them with getting, you know, a worker's permit so they can get a job. A lot of them do work at, you know, McDonald's or Walmart or somewhere while they're in school, just trying Mm -hmm. to get started, you know, have their own money. And then we're basically working with them uh, monthly. They do independent living skills classes. Okay. And so we're trying to teach them everything they need to know to be a self-sufficient adult. Because for them, the end goal is still family reunification. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think people kind of struggle with understanding is there a lot of programs are fostered to adopt. And so for us, it's not that way because we don't want to sever their ties with their their parents, right? unless we have a reason to. But for the most part, their parents are in their home countries and we're just waiting for the federal government to be able to allow them to come here. Mm-hmm. So in that process, it's just making sure that they're in a safe, loving home and that they're having all their needs met, that they're just being kind of taught, gotcha. helping to assimilate to being here and guided. And so yeah. during that time, they are so allowed to have phone calls with their parents or whoever their you know guardians mm-hmm. were back home and just maintain that relationship with the hope that one day they'll be able to reconnect. Okay. And it's just one of those things where 
you know, we can't make any promises to them because we don't know what's going to happen, which yeah. is a little heartbreaking. Yeah, but I'm sure the cases are just, it depends on the situation. Exactly. You know? They're all different. And yeah. that's, yeah, something that everyone just has to kind of go in with an open mind about as well is that every case is different, how they got here, why mm-hmm. they're here, what their situation is at home. And we just have to go in with an open mind and an open heart to try to guide them while they're here and yeah, just help them basically um, feel comfortable here more than anything. Yeah, that's it's so interesting because there's so many when I think about hearing from a foster parent on the domestic side, the uncertainty is a big factor, right? We just don't know how how long they're going to be here. We don't know what the case is going to be. And this is entirely different, but so similar. Exactly. Um, the uncertainty, stepping into someone else's life and providing a home or in a safe place for we don't know how long and we don't know what their challenges are going to be and we don't know what our role is really going to be. Um, that's just a, it's an interesting, uncertain place for someone to step in. Um, and I do want to say like we they're you know, they're coming from refugee camps or shelters. And so we do have some amount of background on them and we do share mm-hmm. that. I mean, yeah. we're very honest and open about whatever history we are aware of that they have. But it's always just you, you can't be certain of what might have happened to them that yeah. they have blocked out or they aren't comfortable sharing. Right. And so some things do get revealed later down the line and you just kind of have to go in knowing that. Yeah. Just anything's possible. <laughs> yeah. And what what are some of the challenges that they face? We mentioned, you mentioned trauma before, of course, leaving someone's home country, leaving their family. Um, there's absolutely multiple, fa- multifaceted trauma. Are there any other specific challenges that you feel like those kids or those youth face as they're going through that process? I mean, school in general <laughs> is hard for any teenager, of course. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like with them, they just have an added layer of just feeling a bit like they are abnormal or just, mm-hmm. you know, outside of the pack. Um, you know, they may experience bullying or just kind of issues with feeling welcomed um, if someone's making fun of their accent or the way they're right. dressing or whatever it is, because they also have different levels of how much they want to maintain the traditions of their home. And mm-hmm. so we're really big on trying to help them feel like they don't have to give all of that up. Like we want them to be able to maintain whatever Mm -hmm. it is from their cultural background that they're wanting to keep here. Sure. Um, As far as, you know, having the foster parents make them foods that they love and familiar Mm -hmm. with and yeah, taking them shopping to places that would offer things that they're familiar with. But at the end of the day, they're still coming into a new place and school is difficult (laughs) for for all junior high schoolers or high schoolers. And so there's just that added element of making sure that, you know, the school is able to support them as much as possible and able to advocate for them and mm-hmm. just get them whatever extra help and support that they need. Sure. We talk a lot about collaboration um, as an organization, knowing that one organization can't do all that's needed to get a kid or a family out of the water of the river. Um, how would you say that the St. Jerome program, you mentioned tutoring, you mentioned these other programs, how do you collaborate with other organizations? I know there's other refugee organizations that do some similar things, some different how do you work alongside other organizations or programs to help these youth stabilize? Absolutely. Um, we are part of the Refugee Consortium. So okay. we do belong to that with, you know, Interfaith and Amana mm-hmm. and um, our refugee resettlement program that's also part of Catholic Charities. And so we, um, you know, meet quarterly to discuss what's coming. We try mm-hmm. to always stay ahead of, you know, what countries the youth are coming from yeah. and just kind of being aware of any additional challenges or new um, 
policies are coming about, like politics comes into play quite a bit with this. Yeah. And um, I'm always looking for partnerships with people just trying to find mentors or yeah, um, mentorship would an be. extra level of, yeah, kind of like tutoring or counseling for them. Um, we're also just always kind of looking for ways that people can help that are go beyond just donations. Like I know a lot of people are always thinking about like donating and especially with younger kids, I think it's easier if you're trying mm -hmm. to donate like diapers or formula and right. things like that. And so, I mean, there is help for parents when the youth first arrive to be able to get them yeah. clothing and all the things they need. But um, yeah, we're more interested in kind of ways that people can help them with just like their mental health mm -hmm. or um, assimilating as they get here. And so... I'm just, yeah, always trying to find partnerships that will either help connect me with churches where they can assist with just trying to find foster parents yeah. um, and bring them on or, you know, spreading the word in some way. Also looking for just kind of, you know, magazines or just media outlets, anyone that will kind of let us just be featured to let yeah. people know we exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you when you talk about finding foster parents, what who is there's probably lots of different ideal foster parents, but for um, the St. Jerome program, what is the ideal foster parent? What do they kind of look like? What is, would you, yeah. you mentioned wanting to match them with people from their home country, if possible, that's probably doesn't happen all the time, but at least maybe speaking the language. And thankfully we're in a very international city is what is that kind of ideal foster parent situation? It's hard to say because, you know, any, anything can happen. And sometimes you end up being surprised at who ends up staying with us the longest and, you know, doing really well with multiple youth. I mean, we do have many families that have had like a very strong connection with their youth and they'll even stay there after they've graduated or aged out because they really do think of them like family. And that is our ultimate goal. Yeah. Um, we obviously always need Spanish speakers because mm -hmm. we will probably always have youth coming from Spanish-speaking countries. Mm -hmm. um, we'll also have a lot of African youth. And so we do sometimes have just not, you know, direct matches, but we'll have like a Nigerian foster parent for youth from um, other countries in Africa or just something okay. that's like as close as we can get. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that can always be helpful. But uh, I, yeah, really, ideally, it's more about their personality than anything, just mm -hmm. people that are able to remain calm and practice trauma-informed care and just be able to really, you know, get on the kids level and just, we always say, whatever expectations you have going in, just let them all go. <laughs> because yeah. And be teachable. <laughs> yes. Learn yes. along the way. Like people yeah. who are just willing to come in with an open mind and be ready to learn, be ready mm -hmm. to just let the youth go at their own rate because yeah. some of them take a very long time to open up. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of it's just kind of not pushing them, like being patient, yeah. just being willing to, yeah, be willing to try to help them by um, offering them things that come from their home countries and just uh, taking them out to activities even. Um, mm -hmm. I find that the youth prosper really well if there was someone who's more active and just likes to yeah. take them out for entertainment and do things together as a family and just kind of help them really um, feel desired, you know, and comfortable. Are there any specific requirements? Like um, for a foster parent, they have to be a certain age. They have to have, I assume, a certain immigration status or legal status here. Um, are there any specific, other specific requirements that, that are 
Yes. So since our youth are a little bit older, our foster parents need to be at least 25. Okay. And then the backup caregivers as well have to be a little bit older, depending on the age of the youth. Like What's they, a backup caregiver exactly? Is that that would be like what y'all call a babysitter? Just a babysitter. Yeah. 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 Okay. Someone who's stepping into mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. into the home. Um, and so yeah, everyone just needs to be old enough that you know the youth will respect them as an authority figure. And they need to be a legal permanent resident. Um, we do accept couples and single foster parents. Okay. Um, but they can't be separated but not legally divorced. Okay. Like they need to be either married or divorced. And so it's, okay. a lot of it's just we don't want Having people it. like cohabitating with someone mm-hmm. that they're not actually married to because um, it's just, you know, stability basically is the mm-hmm. end goal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so that's a, that's a really important rule. And then beyond that, um, they can only accept five youth. So if they have two biological youth already, then it would only be three additional youth from us. Okay. And so our youth can't share a room with their youth. So they need to be separate. And then all the homes are licensed for either boys or girls. So we don't mix the genders unless obviously they already have mixed genders in their home. So we just try to yeah, keep the kids um, separate. They our youth can share with like a bunk bed or you know two twin size beds in a room together. Um, but yeah, we're always just trying to make sure that even with our youth, that we're like mixing youth who are going to get along well mm-hmm. and make sure that no one is clashing. <laughs> sure, that's a lot of different personalities when you have a lot of youth is, in one space. It is, for, and yeah. Um, yeah, since it's not you know kinship or anything, it, there is a lot of mixing of youth from different countries and different mm-hmm. backgrounds, different ages. And so as much as we can, we're just trying to make sure that their personalities will mesh well and that they're not triggering each other, especially if they have similar traumas in their backgrounds. Something that can come up is just them kind of feeding off of each other or, yeah, just (laughs) fighting, whatever the case may be. So we try to make sure that they're going to be in a space that's a comfortable space for them. Yeah, going back a little bit to our the collaboration discussion we said we were talking about before, um, what? How can people get involved? You already mentioned a little bit about donations for babies, probably not as appropriate yeah. um, since there are no babies, um, or not very often at least. Um, what can people do to step in? So if someone's thinking, maybe I could step in to be a foster parent here. Um, well, two part question. I'm going to change my. Uh, I'm going to change it. First part, how can someone step in to be a foster parent? And then if not, if that's kind of not the thing that they're really willing to jump into, what is something that they could do? Mentorship, you mentioned. What else um, could they do? So we do also have a need for respite caregivers that specifically just do respite. We try to license our foster parents to have one respite bed available so -hmm. that there's just always an extra space um, for foster parents that need a break or going on vacation, whatever it is. But... um, for people that are kind of on the fence about it and maybe like, I'm not sure that I want to do this full time or if they just travel a lot, something mm-hmm. like that. Like respite's a really good option. Um, and then obviously the volunteer tutors, we always have a need for that. We currently have our, our new youth that have just come on a wait list because we don't have enough tutors. And so that's something okay. that we really need right now. Um, beyond that, we are looking for people to teach our independent living skills classes. Okay. And so we do those um, on Saturday mornings once a month at the office in Midtown. And yeah, we just have found that it would be great to have professionals from the community come in and teach certain topics. So it's not just mm-hmm. us because they hear from us all the time. So we really want them to kind of yeah. hear different voices. And we're teaching them about, you know, finances, employment, hygiene, just anything you can imagine. And so yeah. there's just a lot of people out there that would be really good at sort of sure 
establishing this um, and we have expanded our curriculum. It was initially just a year long, but now it's more like three years because we just want to go more in depth with them, especially on things like currency because (laughs) they really don't know. Yeah. And yeah, just trying to teach them what a quarter is. is just, yeah, it's a whole whole new ball game. (laughs) Yeah. And I assume all of the the tutoring and stuff, there's translators that are available. And so you're able to, to, if you can step in with the skills, you can um, provide all of that, um, the language barrier gets over yes yes and we do work with uh, master word for translation so okay. they have been very vital for us um, they're available 24 7 and so they can come in person they can do zoom okay. um they're just always there if someone just needs to call them real quick and help okay. <laughs> well we can get hopefully you know just in the notes of the podcast we can share different things about um what types of things are the biggest challenges it sounds like tutors and mentors and things like that um are definitely a need and so hopefully if there are people out there um that can step into those spaces it'll really be a big support to you guys as you're um you're trying to get that support for them as we close out um i'd love to just hear we do this on some of the podcast episodes just what's that story of hope and healing when did it work really just specifically really well um when a kid enters in, what's kind of that success story that you've seen? Sure. So we just had our graduation and we only had two youth graduating this year from high school, which is lower than normal. But with these two youth, it was just a very powerful graduation because they've both been with us for many years. Mm -hmm. And one of them graduated in the top 10%. And that was something we found out at the very end. And so we were all just crying and (laughs) super excited for her. She got into eight colleges. And so um, her foster parents invited like their entire family to come see her. They were so excited because she's an example of, you know, a very strong family unit. And they have um, past foster youth that have, you know, graduated from our program that were there to support as well. So So it was just... A whole a whole slew of people there rooting for her, and um, she wants to be a nurse. So we're just thrilled that she's starting on that path. And then Thanks. we have another youth that um, had come to us just not knowing a word of English many years ago, mm-hmm. and so to have him graduate and just be prospering has also been very moving. Yeah. Um, and so we have a quote from him where he says about the program, I'm so grateful. There's a big difference between the day I came to the USA and now where I am. Finishing high school and starting college was a big dream for me. I would not have been able to do this without the support of Catholic Charities. That's really cool. And so just, yeah, hearing from our youth, getting feedback that they, you know, just have taken in what we've given and been able to prosper is always just phenomenal. Um, And his foster parents also are just overjoyed. He's been with them for many years. And there's been, you know, movement of other foster siblings in and out around him, but he has stayed and just succeeded. So we always want to see stories like that. Um, You know, several of our youth do go to college and it's always hard to finish college, but even if they're on a different path, we're really big on supporting them. If they just want like a two year Mm -hmm. certificate or something that's more hands-on, some of them want to do welding or things more in that nature. So we just want to help them with whatever it is on that path. We're not trying to push anyone to do a four-year degree if that's not what's in the Mm -hmm. cards for them but sure whatever it is we try to establish that up front and then guide them on that path and um yeah we're just here to be a full support system for the foster parents as well we try to be there we have 24 7 on call and we're just here at all times (laughs) yeah 
Well, thank you. Truly, thank you. I We talk about the, the river all the time. We usually think about that, I said at the beginning, in this domestic foster care side. And then we work alongside refugee organizations at times as well. And, and to see those things intersect is so interesting to me, especially, again, living in such an international city. There's so many opportunities for people in our city to step in and find a place along that river. And we just offered them a new one. So um, I'm really grateful for the work that you do. It is very, very important um, in our city. And so um, we will continue to partner. Uh, we'll continue to help you find um, the things that you need to overcome those challenges. So thanks again for sharing with us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. To those listening, we hope these conversations have inspired you to find your place along the river. And we welcome you to join us in bringing hope and renewal to the city of Houston. If you'd like more information on how to get involved, please visit riversideproject.org and submit a contact form. We'll see you next time.